Welcome to An Eye for Business, exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. Brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Hello, welcome to this first episode of An Eye for Business, a podcast which is linked to the Eye to the Future project, a project conducted by Blind Citizens Australia. This podcast series is done in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia, and we thank both organisations for putting these programmes together. I'm Vaughan Benison. The Eye to the Future project focuses on employment for people who are blind or vision impaired, but we know that the unemployment statistics for people who are blind or vision impaired are staggeringly higher than the unemployment statistics for the regular population. An Eye to the Future is a project which seeks to rectify this by making employers, both small business and larger employers, aware of the skills and attributes that people who are blind or vision impaired bring to the workplace. However, many people who are blind or vision impaired are able to find a niche in the market and create their own businesses. And that's what we're looking at here in this series of podcasts. Between 10 and 12 episodes, we're going to hear from a number of different people who run their own small businesses. This series of podcasts is very closely linked to the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series, which is conducted between October and December of 2022. The first person we're going to hear from this week is in fact the first person who was involved in the webinar series. Janelle Cahoon runs a company called Salubrious Productions. She's an agent for artists with a disability and has been for over 20 years. Janelle, thanks for joining us and uh, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you too, Vaughan. Before we get into the story of your, your business and you've been running your business for quite some time now, tell us about your background. So I began by studying opera at the Queensland Conservatory of Music and then went on to sing with the Australian Opera before I moved over to Germany where I sang with a few opera companies before joining the Frankfurt Opera Company and it was while I was singing with the Frankfurt Opera Company that I went blind and then my mum came over to rescue me and brought me back to Brisbane to my hometown and um, that's where I landed and ended up buying a house here. So from what you're saying, it sort of happened overnight. It happened within a six-month period. They actually said over in Germany that I was the most extreme case they'd ever had. So it, it happened very quickly. Mm. And no warning prior to that? Uh, I, I knew that my eye had damage because I went blind from diabetes retinopathy. Okay. So I knew that I had you know issues with my eyes, but you know they sort of said there were just some little changes and then suddenly they went, there's some major changes and then I went through tens of thousands of laser shots and 28 eye operations and, you know, at the end they kind of discharged me from the hospital in Germany and said, sorry, you're blind. And, um, yeah, like I said, I came home to Brisbane. We're speaking to a few people in this podcast series who've lost their vision later in life. And one of the things that strikes me, and, and perhaps this speaks to the entrepreneurial mindset, but so often you hear about people losing their vision and that's really it. And they think, oh, that's the end of my life and I'm, I'm not going to do anything else with my life. And the thing that I'm impressed by with the people that we've spoken to is the number of people who just get up and, and pull themselves up by the bootstraps and, uh, and go on and find something else to do. And clearly that was the case for you, what made you decide to set up your business? 
first of all, like I was very angry. For the first two years after going blind, I was very angry. And I was trying to get work still as an opera singer because, you know, I was at the top of my career over in Germany. Um, I was being told by people back in Australia I was one of the best opera singers in Australia and I couldn't get any work. No one wanted to hire me. They just saw my blindness as such a major issue. And I looked around me and saw these other professional artists with disability or at least professional level uh, artists and saying they also couldn't get work. And I realised that they needed representation and so I was um, on the board of Access Arts at the time and they said, you know, why don't you start up an agency to represent these professional artists with disability because no one else is doing it. And I realised that I had the networks, I had the experience, I had the, the, you know, the skills needed. So that's what started up my business, uh, Salubrious Productions, which is an entertainment and production agency. So what does that look like for you? What what does being an agent actually mean? Being an agent for entertainers means someone rings me up or sends me an email or text or whatever and says, we want to book, let's say, a, a vocal quartet for a wedding or a string quartet to, you know, play when the bride walks down the aisle um, or someone to play guitar you know, country and western guitar for a a, di a dinner, and then I basically recommend someone and send the person out to do the job. And is that something that you do from home? Does it require lots of travel? How does that work? So, for being an agent, it's pretty much can all be done from home, apart from when I'm asked to go and uh, check out a venue or when they potentially want to meet the artists and I decide it's a good idea if I'm also there or occasionally I will go to the venue when the artist is there to just keep an eye on things and make sure everything's running okay but mostly it's all work that I can do from home. So let's talk a little bit about the starting of your business. I mean, clearly people thought that you had the skills, you've had a significant career, particularly in opera, but presumably you've done other types of music as well as, as part of that, as most people tend to do. Are you sure? Did you find that anyone was particularly negative about the idea? What I found was that people, when I was basically advertising myself as representing specialising, representing professional artists with disability, that they came with this preconception of what an artist with disability was going to look like or sound like, and they there were a lot of closed doors. It was actually when I started taking on other artists as well, so lots of my friends that I was networked with and that and started representing them as well. So then what I was wasn't wasn't advertising the fact that I was specialising in representing artists with disability, unless of course it was to a government department or a not-for-profit who was particularly after artists with disability. What I ended up doing was saying, I will give you the best person for the job. And it just so happened that often the best person for the job had a disability because there's no reason someone can't sit down at a piano and play great jazz piano if they're blind, for instance. And so, you know, if my best jazz pianist on my books happened to be blind, that was the person they got. So it would be fair to say then that the negative um, 
I guess the negative vibes you got from from the community were more about your product than they were about your ability to to be an agent. I think also I kept it fairly quiet when I was dealing with clients that I was blind, unless of course it was you know advantageous to let them know that I was blind. So I was a disability leader offering people with disabilities. So in most cases, I was keeping that pretty quiet and wasn't telling them that I did have a disability because I did think that would prejudice people against me, that they'd think that how would I know if an entertainer's any good because obviously entertainers all about the way they look rather than the way they sound, for instance. I think there's a lot of prejudice and preconceptions out there about that, that it's all about the looks rather than actually the sound when obviously when I'm booking musicians, it's about the sound more than the looks so uh, I would just I was fairly quiet about the fact that I did have a disability for a lot of my clients mm. and and I think that sort of moves us neatly into my next question which is around how you feel the fact that you're blind uh, impacts on your ability to do a good job in your business and to make your business successful I think that I can do a good job regardless of the fact I'm blind and I think I've proven that over many years of running my business. Uh, obviously sometimes I will need input from a sighted person to just tell me, let's say when I'm producing concerts for instance, which I moved on to um, further you know, from just being an agent and sending people out. I moved into producing whole shows and concerts and then I would always, when I thought it was necessary, get someone who was sighted to just tell me the stage set up, the way it was looking. So I was getting that final tick of, you know, making the whole package look good. The package needs to be right and, um, you know, my my blindness it doesn't really contribute to me sending out a good package. Mm. But do you think there's anything about the fact that you're blind that makes you better at your job than you would be otherwise? So certainly I'm better at the way listening to, to things, especially especially when I'm talking musicians, when I'm listening for, like I said, the way they sound. Mm. So it's not about the way they look. So I will definitely, and, and even when I go to concerts, I'll be rating the concerts differently to my sighted peers sitting beside me rating a concert because it's it's all to me about the way it sounds rather than necessarily, you know, how glamorous it looks on stage. So I would say if you want a better quality musical product, and certainly my um, concert productions have always been applauded for just how fantastic they sound and the quality of the musicians I'm getting into the concerts, for instance, then I think it's a definite advantage because, like I said, it's not about looks. And when it's a music concert, it should be about the music, not about the way it's looked, whether the string quartet's all wearing matching outfits, for instance. Um, it's it's more about, you know, are they producing a good product? And, and, and so obviously with, you know, all my musicians, like I'm listening for the quality and, you know, what their output is musically. Mm. When you were thinking about starting your business, what were the, some of the things you thought would be really difficult? Um, and think about it from the point of view of perhaps things that you thought would be difficult that aren't so or haven't been so difficult and things that you were absolutely right about that have been really difficult. There, there were a lot of things that I was just completely unaware of when I started my business. For instance, I didn't know about all the different insurances I'd need. For instance, public liability insurance, which is 
very expensive. Uh, I ended up needing to get workers' compensation as well. I There were all these things like on that side of it that I just had no idea about that came as quite a surprise and quite a shock when suddenly I was about to get some good engagement and suddenly discovered that if I didn't have this insurance, I couldn't actually book the venue or whatever. So those sort of things were quite a surprise. It was also things like the bookkeeping. So um, my mum, who's just turned 81, is still doing my bookkeeping for me. She's just told me that I need to pay through the NDIS or something else, someone else to do it for me because she said she's getting a bit old to do it now. But, um, so obviously doing my bookkeeping, just keeping an eye on, you know, the, the invoices that are coming in. Um, I get my husband to draw up stage plans for me. So that was something that I really hadn't considered when I'd started off at needing to draw stage plans. Going to do a venue inspection when it's looking at everything, you know, the, the dressing rooms, the, the the stage, the lighting, that's when I'm really relying on someone sighted. And those were things that I wasn't even considering at the beginning of my business because I really hadn't thought about going into big, big productions like that. So um, things like photographs, like obviously for an entertainment business, I need to have a good website which unfortunately my current website is way out of date at the moment, so it's not really advertising me well. But I need to have a really great-looking website with great-looking photos, so I'm always relying on someone either to take photos for me or to um, look at photos. So Because I regularly get sent photos, I'll ask someone I need a promo photo, and they'll send me a few photos, and I'm often told that some of the photos are absolutely terrible it's just like how can this person possibly consider this as a promo photo when it's kind of taken in their bedroom with you know all the you know paraphernalia in the background and this isn't advertising someone as a performer for instance so I'm always relying on someone sided to do that for me um just trying to think what else like obviously having you know my my computer with jaws on like is the way that I can operate a business so I knew that I had some technology, which I over the years got more technology, which obviously helped me. Um, there was, hmm, just trying to think what else, there's so many things that I just wasn't expecting that, that you know, suddenly became issues. And then other things that I just walked into and, and just, it just flowed. So I guess the first time I went to produce a show, I was freaking out about because I've always been you know previously I'd always been the one if I booked myself for instance for a show or was booked for a show I knew I could rely on me but when I'm booking other people to do a show for me I had to trust them to do really good on stage because they were going out there and basically representing me so if obviously the performers I booked had done a bad job then it's reflecting on me and my business so that to me, to begin with, was really scary. Um, it took me a number of performances and productions to get over that, to realise that I, the people I was booking were good enough and they were going to perform also to a high standard and that I could trust in my own judgement. I, and I think it was my own judgement that I was questioning more than the fact that I didn't trust the artist. It was just that having to put my trust in someone else rather than just my trust in my myself.
You've talked about um, getting your husband to help you with things and, and getting your mother to help you with bookkeeping and things like that. Are there times where, because of your blindness, you've had to uh, hire people that you otherwise wouldn't have hired? And how have you dealt with, uh, with getting people involved? In the beginning, when I first, I, I took, I got a really good contract with the Brisbane City Council to produce the Lunchtime Concerts series. And in the beginning, I relied on friends, on family members, on basically volunteers from the, the then Royal Blind Foundation, because the Royal Blind Foundation in the beginning used to have volunteers who'd go out and help people do different things. So I'd get people from there to come out and help me just do paperwork in my office because there's always lots of paperwork to do with running a business, which I always need sighted help for. Um, and then also they'd meet me, let's say, at the train station and we'd walk down to the city hall together and, like, I'd get them to walk me into the building and, you know, tell me what was on stage and how it was set up and obviously to walk out to MC the concert. Um, so... So in the beginning, I was completely relying on volunteers. Then a number of years ago, I decided that because I wasn't having the volunteers available and it was always too much to ask, then I just basically put aside some of my production budget to paying someone and I basically got one of my vision-impaired um, performers to to help me because he had more sight than me and so he was able to see enough to really help me and it was really helpful for him earning that extra money as well um I'm, you know obviously now with the ndis i can use some of the ndis funding as support to get me to events and and different productions and that sort of thing but i'll still be basically out of my production budget still paying someone to help me mostly and just occasionally when I need someone for something where it's more appropriate to use my NDIS um, social and community budget to use that. Mm. And do you think it's fair to say that there are things that you wouldn't um, get someone to help you with that, that other people perhaps might? I'd say definitely, especially working with the people with disabilities, the artists with disabilities, because they, the artists that I mostly represent, they're people who aren't getting represented by other other agents because they say see them as too difficult or too time consuming so instead i'm prepared to like I, I remember one time i was sending a singer and he had autism off over to the university to to sing at an event and i had to spend the time on the phone to him to discuss with him you know which bus he was catching he knew which buses he was going to catch, but we, we just talked through the whole process, which bus and then getting to the city and then changing to the next bus. And then when he got out to the university, which street he'd have to walk down. And it was just spending the time to talk it all through with him to reassure him that he could do it on his own and that it was all going to be fine and that I would have someone there then at the venue to meet him once he'd walked down that last street to get to the venue. And the other agents just wouldn't bother with that. They'd just say that's too time consuming, too much trouble. They can just pay someone who can just jump in their car or jump in the taxi and get there and, and you know, too bad about this other artist. So certainly in the, the time of basically having the time or at least having the the empathy to to spend the time with someone so that they can get the job 
certainly that's that's something that I've got that the other agents don't have. And that's a really interesting point. You've been running your business for oh, close on 20 years now. What do you think it is in your experience about artists with disability that puts uh, people off from booking them? I I always think it's just the fact that they just they're seeing them as extra trouble or that they need to put extra attention into it. So for instance, like going back to my jazz pianist, the fact that the only thing he needs apart from being shown, you know, he jumps out of a taxi he, and he needs someone to meet him at the taxi to bring him into the venue to sit him down at the piano and during the night maybe to get him, you know, a, a drink or to lead him to the bathroom and that's all he needs for the night. And a lot of people see that as that's just all too much trouble because, of course, if you hire a sighted pianist to come, they get their own way there, they find their, the piano, they get their own way to the bathroom or to grab a drink. And, like, the amount of extra trouble that is is so minimal that is just ridiculous, but that's the way a lot of people think. It's just they... They want to pay the entertainer to come there and they look after themselves and they don't have to worry about it. So how do you sell your product to customers when you're talking to people who are looking to book artists? How do you sell the concept of, of an artist with disability? How do you sell that jazz pianist, for example? I tell them he's the best best jazz pianist they can possibly get. So it's, it's not a case of that. It's, it's not about his disability. It's about his ability. So I sell it on the ability. And I sell it that, that he is the best jazz pianist they could possibly get. And I can't offer them a better one and no one else around Brisbane is going to be able to offer them a better one either. I normally just tell them that he's pretty much self-sufficient as long as someone can meet him at the taxi and he'll give them a call when he's, he's nearly arrived or we'll just organise a specific time. And as long as they show him where the piano is, he'll be right. And because most of them realise that, you know, if he wants a drink, he's going to say something about that. Or if he needs to go to the bathroom, he's more than likely just to get up and start walking in some direction. And someone's going to basically say, you're right, mate, you know, and, and lead him the rest of the way. But I, I normally tell them that he's so self-sufficient that they really don't have to worry about it. Why are we still dealing with this? Here we are in 2022 and beyond, and there have been artists with disability for hundreds of years. Why are we still, as artists with disability, um, and, and particularly in this instance, artists who are blind or vision impaired, still facing this kind of negative um, negative response to the work and the, and the effort that we put in? I mean, after all, artists with disability put in just as much, if not more, effort into their art than, uh, than other people do. So, you know, where does it come from? I really don't know because that that's one of the things I'll use them. I'll, I'll say to people, like, if you think of Stevie Wonder or Ray Charles, you don't think about them as being blind. You think them, about them as being a fantastic artist, a great artist, one of the best. You're not thinking about their disability. You're only thinking about their ability. And so I think it's people's narrow-mindedness or maybe their their lack of experience at knowing people who are blind or have a disability and just really looking at it with a closed mind and not seeing all the possibilities and the opportunities and obviously the workarounds that people have because I, I know myself when I'm applying for a, a job to, let's say, run an organisation, all I'll get is a list of 
well, I can't do the job and I'll be saying, but of course, you know, I've got this workaround, I can do this. This is a way I would actually achieve that task. And they're just so shocked to, to know that there are workarounds, that people do have talking computers and talking phones and all those just things that we take as just so ordinary and every day that they're just shocked to hear that we can actually, you know, use a computer. I've had, So many times I've had people ask me who types my emails for me. Just so I think it's just still a lack of knowledge and and experience that you know knowing other people with with disability or mm. blindness. Does that frustrate you? It drives me crazy. Yeah. Especially especially when like I know there was one time a number of years ago it was it was to apply for a job with one of the leading Queensland arts organisations. And I'd contact them beforehand. I said, is there any point in me spending a long time putting in this application when you're really not even going to consider me? And instead of just giving me a yes or no answer, they've said, come in and meet with us. So I came in and met with the artistic director and the general manager. And they said, just you know, talk to us. And so they were just both shocked at all the ways I could work around all the issues. So every time they you know, pr proposed an issue that I couldn't do, you know, I had a workaround for it, and they were both absolutely shocked. They were just astonished to hear all the different ways I could work around issues. But until that point, until I'd gone in and spoken with them, they would have never considered me, and they would have never, never thought about considering a blind person because they just didn't think all those things were possible. Mm. Do you think that representing artists with disability and getting them work has been a successful venture for you? It was more successful in the beginning, mainly because I had so much energy and enthusiasm, and so I was prepared to go out and hit my head against a brick wall a lot of times, like every day pretty much, and spend the time on the phone trying to convince people that they should be engaging my artists. And over time, obviously, you can only bang your head against the brick wall so many times before it starts to hurt and you start to basically lose that energy to keep on doing it. So I'd say in the last number of years now, my energy level and enthusiasm to keep on banging my head against brick walls has definitely gone down. So it's, I'd say now it's actually, I'm, I'm getting much less work for people with disabilities um, than I did in the beginning when, like I said, I was out there. Because, for instance, getting people work for government agencies where they're trying to be inclusive, they're saying they're being inclusive, but then they'll go and get an agent who doesn't have any people with disabilities on their things when it's a disability event. So, of course, I'd be ringing up and saying, you need to get a an agent who has a disability to engage people with disabilities. And you make that association, you convince them that the people you're representing were really good, that what you were saying and doing was really good, and you get this really great relationship going that might last six months, occasionally 12 months, with the person in the role who was basically contacting you me and saying, okay, you know, this is this is what the, the function is, this is what we want. And then, of course, the person would get transferred to a different position. And rather than the information that Janelle is the agent you go to to book this sort of work, they kind of, it's just like my contact details got lost in the transfer and I'd have to re-establish this 
this new relationship with this new person coming in. So and and then they'd stay for in six months, you know, maybe twelve months. And when you keep on going through this process over and over again, at a certain stage you just lose energy for it. You just can't keep on doing it, you know, without being some superhuman person who just has, you know, an overloads of energy who can keep on doing it. Mm. You're the only agent who specialises in booking artists with disability in Brisbane, as I understand it. Has there been any competition in your sector and how have you dealt with that? No, no one else has decided to take on my artists. Occasionally, I'll get an agent who will take on one of my artists, which is fine. Like, I've never said I have exclusive rights to my different artists because, like, as far as I'm concerned, if if my jazz pianist is represented by five different agents, it means he's got five times more likelihood of getting some work. Um, but uh, I, I really don't have... Occasionally, there'll be some agent just a mainstream agent who has maybe two or three artists with disability on their their books and so then they'll be running in and sort of saying you know well I'm the agent you should be should be engaging because I've got three people on my on my books who've got disability so they'll just keep on you know proposing the same artists over and over again whereas what I was tried to do was show them that we have this incredible diversity and a huge number of professional level artists with disability in Brisbane and you know Queensland and in in fact Australia and that that they I didn't want to offer them the same person each time that I kept on offering them different people so they could keep on going wow you've, there's there's more people like it's it's not just one artist we just thought there was just one artist and it's just like no like I can probably send you a different artist for the next 20 functions mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear to me from, um, you know, from your work and, and knowing people who've been represented by you that you've made significant changes in their lives. Knowing that, would you, you know, you, you said that your energy is kind of diffused and you, you don't have as much energy for it now. Do you think that things like that revitalise you and, you know, does it make you feel more empowered to continue doing what you're doing? Well, I, I just recently put in to produce the lunchtime concerts again because I'd stopped doing the contract a number of years ago in 2015. I didn't reapply to continue doing them because I, I, you know, produced them for 14 years and basically I was just worn out because it was like it was a 12-month job and so just never a break and and I was being bullied by someone who really didn't like the fact that I was had a disability so I just decided not to reapply for the contract and so now I've just reapplied again to hopefully get it and so I'm just crossing my fingers at the moment that I get it again and certainly that will give me a lot more energy again if I'm having to put on concerts every month in the city hall and obviously you know re re connecting with all of my artists and giving them all opportunities again and certainly that would definitely revitalize me and obviously get me really back into the swing of entertainment which is is the area that I really love and obviously that's that's my passion so I've been doing lots of other you know work as a health consumer representative on lots of hospital committees for the last few years to keep myself active but obviously that's not where my passion lies. That's that's kind of just work to fill in the time because I don't like sitting. I, I get bored very quickly. Um, so 
obviously if I can get back into the, the full-time music scene again, definitely my energy is going to go way back up again. What would you advise people who are thinking of starting up their own businesses at this point? Firstly, I'd say research everything you can and certainly you need to have the energy and you need to have the stamina and the, the tenacity because it, it isn't an easy ride. It's not an easy ride for anyone. So like, the, obviously there's extra issues involved when you've got a disability or you're, you're blind, but certainly anyone who's running a business, I look at people around me all the time who are sole traders like, like I am running a business or just, you know, single, single-handedly running a business and they're getting worn out and they're struggling with all sorts of things and so it's difficult for everyone so there's there's people have to realize that to start with and so I'd say definitely have the energy definitely be good at networking so if you're not good at networking, learn to be good at networking. And certainly I go to every conference, I apply for every grant I think I've got a chance of. I go to opening nights of shows, I go to cocktail parties, I go to any any opportunity to network with people in my industry that I can because obviously that's that's the way you get connections, that's the way you get jobs, that's the way, you know, word of mouth is a, a really big thing in, in most businesses not just entertainment, which obviously word of mouth is huge, but I definitely say work on the networking and and learn as much as you can. So I did a, a TAFE small business management course just so I could learn everything, like especially all the licenses and, and fees. And, you know, I spoke with the ATO about my best way of going, whether I should be registered for GST, just all those little things that make a good business person and and certainly as an as an agent and producer I think that the small details are really important so you get the small details right the big picture is going to be right so I'm always a really making sure of getting the small details right so whether it's just a case of making sure and sending someone an email the night before to confirm that a this artist is coming tomorrow to you know perform at your event or or you know the night before just to reconfirm with the artists that they're definitely going to be there at 10 a.m. in the morning. Um, just like those little little things that just make a big difference because you're so much less likely to have something mess up that the that the you know client has actually changed the time to actually 11 o'clock now or that the artist had thought it was 11 o'clock, not 10 o'clock. And just, just those really little details that take a little bit of time but can make the difference between something being absolutely disastrous or tremendous. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important. It's, it's really supporting not only your product, but supporting your clients and, you know, making sure that everything runs smoothly. And I guess that's part of, uh, part of being a good representative and a good agent. Is there something that you would have done differently when you started your business if you knew now, then what you know now? Hmm. I think... I probably wouldn't have been as headstrong. I think I would have taken a bit easier and probably felt my way into the industry a bit more carefully so that I would have realised what what was needed and how to go about it without this constant bang my head against a brick wall. 
I also would have probably researched a bit more into what I was going to do before I went into it. I'm, I'm not sure if that would have changed my mind about actually starting up my business, but I don't think it would have, but I just think I would have been a bit more prepared. And I also would have looked into more about how I could get people to support me more rather than having to rely on my family, who obviously my family gets tired of it too. You know, like I said, my mum's getting very tired of doing my my tax, my accounting, my bookkeeping. So uh, obviously if I could have, you know, started up differently so that I could have possibly got some other grant that could have supported me to to you know get or taken out a loan so I could basically pay someone to help me in the business so I could have actually made a bit bigger business which then would have supported the in, engaging someone else I started producing shows because I got sick of people asking me for ridiculous ridiculous ideas or suggesting some ridiculous I remember one time some lady rang me and said you know we we've got this event in the park and we want to keep the children entertained while the adults just have their good time you know having wines and and chatting so we want a clown to um, basically keep them amused for three hours and I said it's never going to happen like mm. a, no entertainer is going to keep young kids entertained for three hours. Like this is an impossibility. And in the end, because she absolutely was so sure she knew what she was talking about, in the end I end up putting an absolute ridiculous price so that she wouldn't go ahead and book my artist because my artist was so, so concerned about this, this job that I just said, well, I'll just put a ridiculous price on it. And so obviously when I decided to start producing shows, it was then up to me to say, well, obviously entertaining kids for three hours with one performer is not going to work. So let's say if I was going to produce that, how could I make it work that the kids are being kept entertained while the parents can go and have their drinkies? And so obviously for me it made so much sense to go into producing that I got to choose who was going to be the best person for the job and how it was going to work best and how to keep the audience interacting and, you know, what they would like. And obviously I've got a great deal of pleasure out of producing. So, like, I've produced over 1,400 events over the time I've been running my business. So it's it's a lot of different concerts and shows and and obviously lots of different artists and that's it's it's very rewarding producing mm. yeah that's a remarkable number 1400 shows over what 20 odd years yeah it's a bit over 20 years mm. yep yeah congratulations janelle it's been great to talk to you thanks for being a part of the series and uh, good luck with the uh the upcoming contract oh i hope so i've got my fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> And as we end this week's program, I can tell you that Salubrious Productions, and Janelle specifically, was successful in gaining the contract for the Brisbane City Council lunchtime concerts. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks for being with me for the last 40 minutes or so. You have been listening to An Eye for Business, exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. 
This is a series of programmes brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Join us again next week.